Welcome to A Canadian Investing in the U.S., a podcast and YouTube channel focused on Canadians buying real estate with host Glenn Sutherland. Welcome to another episode of A Canadian Investing in the U.S. This week, my guest is Scott Crone. Uh, Scott, if you could give us uh, an introduction to yourself, please. Oh, first of all, thank you very much for having me, Glenn, eh? Oh, no but uh, I appreciate it. Um, you know, I, I grew up in the Chicagoland area and um, got to know uh, the Toronto area very well because of our, my son playing hockey up there. Yeah. So we, we spent a lot of time going back and forth and there's a lot of similarities between the two cities. But um, I grew up in the Chicagoland area and, and then uh, began pursuing a master's degree in architecture once I graduated from college. And uh, that's when I got into real estate. And so I was doing multifamily developments for the company that I was working for. And then uh, I started my own company in 1998. And we began with single family houses, new construction. And then we progressed into multifamily mixed use uh, apartments, commercial flex space warehouse. And then uh, after the big uh, crash in 08, 09, we got more into self storage and sold off all of our other assets and have been focusing on uh, self storage. Excellent. Uh you kind of did a transition there going through the different levels. Um, what's the reason between each one? Is there, is it like growing steps or like how, wh why would you go from the single family to the multifamily and then to the self-storage? Is that like a, you think that's a natural progression or is there a reason? Well, when I was doing the multifamily, I was working for a top 20 uh, builder in the United States. And I mean, my, the first project I did was my master's thesis and it was a hundred million dollars. And so, uh, you know, I worked there for six years and they were still going on after I left, but I was, I was also in charge of a, a 40 unit, $25 million project and a 57 um, unit, a $17 million project. So, you know, th these were very large scales type stuff. So when I started my company, you know, just building something from the ground up, you know, we started with a $300,000 home that we bought the property tore it down and built one for 350 and sold it for a million 50. So you know, that, that's, that's, you know, we just began building and growing from there. So it's, it's hard to jump fully into a large scale multifamily. Yeah. And so, um, you know, shortly, you know, a couple of years later, we did do our first 12 unit townhome division. And, um, but we, we were, our philosophy was always to go where the market takes us rather than trying to dictate the market. So in 08, 09, when everything crashed, the entire market was, you know, forced into apartments because that was the only thing that people could lend on. In fact, our first self-storage facility was a building that was supposed to have been torn down and converted into townhomes and condominiums, but because all the banks pulled their financing due to the recession, they couldn't do it. And so that's, it left the 90,000 square foot building, which we then converted into self-storage. So for me, it's, it's a lot more predictable. It's a lot more, uh, mo you know, we can model it. And also it's a fraction of the exposure. So, it, you know, 400 condominiums and townhomes was $100 million. I can do 500, 600 rental units and lockers for less than 10% of that. I mean, it's just a, you know, it's just a much different scale. So I have a lot less exposure and it's more predictable. Yeah, I'm thinking renovating dollars per square foot. You're not doing kitchens. You're not doing, you know, tile floor probably. You're not doing a lot of this stuff. You're <laughs> just making it so people don't go from one locker to the next one. Well, even um, if they do, it's not the end of the world, right? You know, but I, I'm certainly, I, I say people can have any color locker they want as long as it's white. And, uh, you know, it's the model. The, the Henry, Henry Ford, Ford model. Yeah. <laughs> 
I, I don't, it's, you know, it's apartments without toilets. I mean, it's the, it's the model. It's just a more simplistic version of it. And I, as you said, I don't have to worry about if I pick the right tile or the right color cabinets or appliances or any of those sorts of things. It's a lot more uh, simplistic. Whenever I picture self-storage, I always think of those, you know, big orange buildings that, you know, the, the sort of warehouse sort of ones that are sitting along the highways. Um, you just talked about doing a conversion. When, like, is it, how do you know if you're like, you can do a conversion, like, or if you, the market could sustain a conversion, like, how do you, just like, maybe you have this apartment building, your things aren't going well, or you bought one that's completely vacant. And, you know, I, I tend to buy really rough buildings and try to renovate them. So maybe you're buying something like that and trying to convert it to self-storage. Like, how do you know it makes sense to turn it to self-storage? Well, there's, there's a uh, multiple components to your question. So I'll, I know, I'll try sorry, to break I it down. I kind of ranted no, there. <laughs> no worries. So let, let's just take, um, how do we know if a market is good? So it, it doesn't really matter if we're converting or buying an existing or expanding an existing or building new. It's the same question. So how do we know that a market is good? You know, we can do uh, saturation studies uh, within a specific property. So every, every site that we consider, we're doing an analysis of, of that one, three, five mile radius, or if it's more rural, you know, how long does it take to drive 15 miles um, or 15 minutes, I should say. Yep. You know, so obviously to drive 15 minutes in New York City, uh, you get you go two blocks. But, you know, if you're out in the country, you could probably go 60 miles because it's, you know, you're going 60 miles an hour. Yep. So we, we look at what is the radius if it's more rural in terms of drive time versus, um, you know, radius in terms of uh, mileage, but we're always looking at the saturation level. So the national average in the United States, keep in mind that 10% of the population uses self-storage in the United States. And the, where supply equals demand typically is around seven square feet of lockers per capita. Now there are exceptions to the rule and the rules are changing. Uh, the pandemic has certainly altered the, 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 the metrics of that, but like the East Coast, Florida, Texas, California, we're seeing the saturation above nine. You know, it's a, in Florida, it's almost pushing 11 square feet of lockers per capita. People are going in and developing where it's nine. And, um, you know, we have gone into markets where it's two. You know, the highest we've gone into is four. Um, so we always know that when we go into a market, there is demand. So it's just a matter of providing the, the supply and then the demand will fill it up. So that is the same across the board. Then the next thing if we're looking for is what are the entitlements? What are the zoning? What is allowable? And that's usually one of the biggest hindrance in terms of moving forward with a project is if you know the municipality is not receptive to a, a change and allowing self-storage. Um, a lot of municipalities don't like self-storage, but it, it, it serves a need. You know, as housing goes more and more expensive, you know, self-storage is a viable option, not just for consumers, but also for businesses. And so, you know, it's a, it's a, I mean, that's why we were deemed essential by every government, governmental agency during the pandemic. We did not have one day of closure um, because of the pandemic, because it's, it's needed. And then, um, so then the next thing is, does the building, if we're doing a conversion, does the building lend itself to that? So, you know, do we have the ceiling heights? Do we have the load capacity? Do we have access? Do we have the ability to get into the building? How easy is it to get into the building? So those are, we look at all three of those things and before we evaluate, you know, does this, does this building or project make sense? That's interesting. And like when you're saying, like buying above the $7 per uh, a blocker per capa, um, 
when you were saying that, I was thinking you're going to be talking about like saying New York because maybe you could do more because I'm thinking like they're living in smaller areas they need more storage. That, that's where I thought you were going to like when you started talking about Florida, I was like, interesting. Because when I think of Florida, I always think of houses and more of than apartment buildings, right? Right. So the thing, I mean, if you think about the, the general housing stock, the things that tend to kill self-storage are um, garages, basements, and attics and yeah. big front yards. So like if you're out in Texas in the middle of the country, I mean, if you don't need something, you park it in your front or backyard, right? Or, you know, you, you put up a barn. Yeah. Um, so when you have a housing stock that does not have basements, garages, or attics, then people don't really have other places to put things. Now, what's happened during the pandemic is that how we use our homes has changed. You know, people would always say to me, why do you tear down homes and build new ones? Well, I say, well, in the last 50 years, we're, we're dramatically using homes differently. Within the last year, we're dramatically using homes differently. We now have more home offices. I've always had one. I, I began my, my company out of my home, yep. but a lot of people are now having to have home offices, home educational areas, um, and also home uh, exercise areas. And so, you know, these three things have altered how we use homes. And so if you, if you need that extra room for your, you know, your uh, Peloton or your, your Nordic track or whatever it is, then you got to move stuff out. And where do you put it? And you put it into self-storage if you're not willing or can't afford to get a bigger place. <laughs> it makes a lot of sense. Um, whenever I'm like looking at like, you know, multifamily or single family, I'm always like comparing like, you know, landlord and tenant friendly states is one of the things that comes up, right? Um, mm -hmm. Does that even come into play at all in self-storage? Like, is there uh, different laws from different states for self-storage for like, I guess, emptying lockers and stuff that are more beneficial? No, it, that's, that's another reason why, um, one, we stopped buying apartments in Illinois and specifically the city of Chicago. It's just, it's just become so onerous in terms of being tenant friendly. It's almost, uh, you know, penal in terms of if you're the owner of the property. Um, so, you know, I really caution people when they're, you know, like, I want to buy an apartment building in Chicago. Well, the laws are very incredibly strict for that. In, in fact, like the teachers union, when they were picketing, um, you know, they were doing their soft picket about, you know, teaching in the COVID, they were trying to mandate that the city of Chicago enforced rent, um, um, uh, rent uh, abatement to keep people from having to pay their rent. Now, oh. why does the teachers union trying to dictate to the city of Chicago what, you know, yeah. private property owners are able to do or collect or not collect? I mean, that just shows you the power of the politics that were going on behind the teachers union here in Chicago and the pressures that the city was facing. So that's, that's the, 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 you know, the general atmosphere or, you know, the, the laws that we have to deal with here in, the United, in Chicago. I don't have any of those, you know, granted during the pandemic, grace was given, you know, we, we actually offered economic incentive um, programs to people during that pandemic period of time, but the collections only went up one or 2% during the pandemic. You know, for the most part, everyone that I know that owns self-storage and the reports that I've heard on a national scale. So I'm a part of a mastermind of operators across the country. Yeah. Occupancy was at an all-time high. You know, everything was filling up. And if I, I went back and studied the last four major recessions there was a slight downturn and then two to 3% increase annually after the, the downturn. And it's the only asset class that I've seen in, in real estate in 30 years that actually thrives during a recession. And so, you know, it, it's just, it's, I deemed it recession resistant 
A lot of people call it recession proof. Yeah. I don't think there's anything that's proof. Yeah. I think it's more resistant to recessions. Okay. And then say they aren't paying, like what is the eviction process? Is it just like on TV where they, you do the auction at the locker and people come in and they, they bid and take these green lockers and they open it up and it's full of gold. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the best one I've ever heard was I have a friend who owns some facilities out in Massachusetts and he's in more of the rural area. Yeah. And this guy, you know, unbeknownst to him, put a, a BMW model 2002 so this is, you know, not the year 2002, but the model. So it's a classic car. It's like, you know, 30 years old. Yeah. And the guy stopped paying his rent and, you know, he called him up and he finally got hold of the guy. And he's like, hey, look, I got a DUI. There's no public transportation out there. I can't get the car. I don't know what to do with the car. So why don't you just keep the car? <laughs> like, Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> but, you know, it, it, most of the time, it, you know, it's, it's just, it's just paper. It's, it's files. It's, it's things that, you know, sentimental things that people are holding on to. So it's not these gold mines that you see on TV. It's obviously, obviously very sensationalized. Um, the first step is just simply overlocking the locker. So they can't come and get their stuff until they make a payment. Okay. And then if they're not doing that after a certain amount of time, um, then, then there is a sale or you basically clean it out and throw the stuff away. Um, you know, we're buying, we're in the process of buying one right now. And the collections, you know, the operator said, hey, you know what? I got it from my dad. Um, you know, we haven't done anything really with it in the last three or four years. We haven't raised rents, you know. And I looked at the, I looked at the receivables and some were like almost a year. And they're like, yeah, we overlocked it. They'll eventually pay. And so, you know, just by, you know, improving the management, we can improve the, the operations and the efficiency of that facility and increase the value of it by a couple hundred thousand dollars because of the fact that, you know, if you're raising rents and you're collecting, your NOI is going to increase. And if you just hold the cap rate, um, you'll be able to, you know, perform the building and make the building more valuable. So, you know, that's an example of someone who's just not really caring anymore. And that's a pretty common experience for the, the smaller facilities, like what you were describing originally, yeah. the more rural class C or class B type facilities. So we're involved in all three classes. We're involved in class C, class A, and class B. Interesting. And you mentioned the, the cap rate. So I'm guessing that lending it runs similar to like the multifamily when you're doing the, the lending for this? It is similar. Um, the only difference is that we have economic, economic occupancy versus econo uh, physical occupancy. And so, cause we're always offering like first month free or, you know, a discount. And so the economic occupancy will always lag, you know, in multifamily, if you're physically occupied, you should have like your collection should equal your physical, right? You shouldn't have that lag. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Unless it's some collections, yeah. but you know, we're always lagging during the lease up period of time. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Cause I was kind of curious about that when I was thinking about this beforehand, cause I was like, is this more like multifamily? Is there more like mobile home parks where you have, it's going to be difficult to finance it. Are like our lenders open to this asset class? Oh yeah. It's, I mean, we have everything from an SBA loan to private, you know, uh, local banks to private lending who, uh, you know, have worked with us in terms of um, you know, equity and then uh, CMB financing insurance really love it when it gets stabilized. And so, uh, they come, they become very aggressive with the financing once the projects are stabilized. That's interesting. That's good. No, like that, that's one of the things I was worried. I'm like, it's going to be another thing if I decide to go there that I'm going to have to try and strike up some seller financing. <laughs> yeah, well, people uh, do do it. it. It is surprising. It is a common, especially with the class C facilities when people buy them. 
it is a common thing where people do want some income off of it, but they just don't want to manage the property anymore. Interesting. Um, for running these things, um, what kind of expenses, what kind of overhead is there, right? Because um, I'm guessing like, like, you know, it's not like a multifamily where you can put a lot of the utilities on the tenants. Um, you'd be paying electricity. Uh, what other stuff is there involved with running one of these things? So if we're, if we're comparing, comparing it to apartments, it's, it's obviously a lot less, you know, we're anywhere from 25 to 35% expense ratio okay. compared to 55 and multifamily. Yep. Um, you know, the base things, we don't have the repairs and, you know, our utilities, even in our class A facilities, when you're not walking through it, the lights shut off. So as soon as you start walking through it, there's a motion sensor, the lights kick on, they're then on a timer. And then, you know, if there's no motion, they, they shut back off. So we're, you know, trying to keep our utilities down low. Um, and then obviously in a class B or C, then the only thing you'd be paying for in a class B is if you're conditioning the space, um, you know, providing heating, heating or cooling. But otherwise, it's just site lighting. Um, but the biggest thing is, you know, in a class C or B, we're actually going without personnel on site. We're going remote so that you can you know, hit, hit a keypad and you gain entrance. And then, um, you know, we can control, we can see who's going in and coming out and then we can video it. Yeah. And then, you know, in terms of operating it, we just have our landscapers maintain the property and make sure it's clean and, and presentable, those sorts of things. If we have to overlock it, we ask the landscaper to do that sort of stuff. So we can, we can really reduce expense ratios quite a bit compared to multifamily. Um, you know, the biggest, the biggest expense is usually property taxes. That and in our class A facilities, it's the labor of having one, we typically have one and a half people on site. So that's one full-time and one part-time person. Okay. Um, the only last question that popped in my head is property management. Is it, um, I'm guessing, like, do you pay like a percentage, just like multifamily, like a 4% for uh, of the rent collected or how does that work? Or do you just keep it in house? Do you have your own property management? Cause I guess I'm guessing you could keep it in house pretty easily if you're doing it all with cameras and, and locks, right? Yeah. You do need to have the systems if you're going to self-manage it. it. You know, you, you can do it, depend, yeah. but it depends on where you are in relationship to the asset and, and what it's like. So the biggest thing is you want to make sure that you have people that can answer the phone because um, historically, you know, you would have to drive by a self-storage facility and then pull in. But now people are using the internet to find it and then they, you know, they'll call to make the reservation. So the first thing is just really having a full-time phone system that can answer calls or, you know, your website is up to date that it can take reservations or, you know, sales online. So that, that's very critical to the whole process. Um, there are third-party um, REITs, which are the real estate investment trusts. Yeah. Um, so the big boys like Extra Space, Publix, U-Haul, uh, CubeSmart, they all have what they call third-party management. So we can hire them to run our facilities. Oh. Um, but we just also opened up our own branding, one-stop self-storage. And so we launched that this week or past week in Dayton. And so we will be implementing that one in our new facilities going forward as one-stop self-storage. That's interesting. Yeah, that's cool. Um, what did I, what didn't I ask you about self-storage? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the big difference is that, you know, I would say that 50% of our investors are doing it for growth yep. and, you know, within the different asset classes, if you're looking at a class C, which is like a smaller mom and pop, we consider that like a penny stock. You're going to get a nice yield, but you're not going to see huge appreciation. A class B facility would be more of like a suburban market, um, you know, so outside the city of Toronto, so like Mississauga or, you know, Cambridge where you are, 
yep. and that might still be a drive up, but you know, in Canada, you'd want it to be heated or not so much conditioned, but at least, you know, if you're putting furniture in there, you want to make sure that it's not, you know, freezing and expanding and contracting. So, yep. you know, having heating and cooling in there. Yep. And then um, that's like a blue chip stock. And then, we'll, you know, the other things that we do are the conversions are the new ones, which is class A, where you can literally drive into the building. And so each of our more uh, colder environments, you can literally pull into the building, the door comes down and you can open up your trunk, your, your van doors or whatever it is and totally unload it in a safe, dry and secure environment. And then, um, you know, roll your stuff to the locker and then come back, drive out of the building. And we, we, uh, we equate that to like a growth stock. And so they all have different objectives, but so I'd say 50% of our investors are looking within those criterias. And then the other 50% are looking for tax shelters. And it's an incredible tool that we've been able to utilize here in the United States um, between the opportunity zones. So we've done opportunity zones funding of these things. We've done historic tax credits. In fact, we just uh, got $2.2 million of historic tax credits, um, which we're returning to our investors um, for our project in Wisconsin because we, we turned the building into a national park. And then um, the other one is cost segregation. So we can um, accelerate the depreciation of these things. And so they, they create great tax shelters as well. So it's just not a, you know, a growth thing. It's a, it's a tax strategy as well. Interesting. And then <clears throat> I'm guessing you, uh, you raise the money through like a syndication sort of system to, to buy all these apartments or not apartments, sort of multifamily, uh, these units. Um, well, that, that's become the, the latest buzzword, right? Syndication. So yeah. we, we've always called them equity investors. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, we do have a network of people that we've, you know, that have learned about us and, and grown to, you know, either they knew us before and then they've gotten involved or they've learned of what we're doing and said, hey, can we join you? And so um, that's how we've always approached it. Okay. No, I, I like it. It's a very interesting asset class because you don't have to deal with a lot of things that you're dealing with, uh, with doing these multifamilies or single families. And <clears throat> the fewer moving parts, the, the simpler and more efficient you can run a lot of things. Um, I, I, I mean, I'm interested in this class. It's very interesting. It, um, but anyway, I'm still going on a rant again. But <clears throat> uh, Scott, I, 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 mean, I, I love this. I, I got a lot out of this and uh, I literally had one question written down when I started and I filled the whole page, but uh, <laughs> I'm like, Oh, that, that just makes me think about this. That makes me think about this. But if people wanted to uh, get a hold of you to uh, be part of uh, one of your projects or to learn more about it, um, where do they track your, you or your company down? Well, our webpage is www.coda, C-O-D-A, M-G for management group.com. Okay. And they can email us at info at codamg.com. And, it, you know, Glenn, if, if someone references the show and, you know, they have a site that they think that might work or they're interested in learning more about it and they reference the show, we'll, we'll certainly have a, a, you know, no obligation call with them and go through it. And I mean, this is a small world, you know, we're not trying to, to steal properties or this or that from people. So, you know, if they want us to sign a non-disclosure, non-circumvent, we'd be more than happy to do that. But if they give us the address, we'll run, you know, the demographics for them and, and just give them a sense, like, does the, does it make sense to do self-storage in this location? Um, and, you know, they don't have to, you know, have any further conversations with us. It's just, you know, does this building, does this site make sense? And we'll, we'll go through it and tell them why or why not. Um, you know, people, a pretty common, you know, conversation that we have with people is like, I got a perfect site for self-storage. And I'm like, okay, well, where is it? And they're like, Austin, Texas. I'm like, okay. 
and uh, well, have you done a feasibility or have you done demographics? Like, oh, no, no, well, you know, I, but there isn't any self storage near us. And I said, well, just give me the address and, you know, I'll, I'll do, <laughs> do a double check for you. And sure enough, there's like 20 facilities within two miles. And I'm like, you, you might want to like pump the brakes a little bit on this one. <laughs> and so <laughs> yeah. then we did the, 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 the market feasibility. It came back at 13 square feet per, per capita. And I'm like, whatever you do, do not do self-storage here. This is like the worst place for you to do self-storage just because it's so saturated, you know, and when it gets that way, then it takes longer to lease up, you get less revenue and, you know, it just puts more pressure on your project. So we're happy to go through it and, you know, people, you know, send us pictures of buildings and we go through it and, you know, we've been able to, you know, assess things in terms of, does it make a good conversion? And so, or, or a new site and what we'd be happy to do that for your listeners. That's interesting. Like, um, cause so, and then how would that work out? So would it be like, um, you look, we're looking to partnership on it to convert it for them. And then, or are you looking to purchase the property and do it yourself? How, how does that usually play out? I'm just, I'm just curious. Well, it, it, it really has more to do with what the, the person who brings the property wants to do with it. Um, okay. we've done all three we've, we've done, like we're building one in Florida right now that, that we're beginning on the, on the design and the build of it where it's an existing operator who said like, I've never developed before and they've hired us to do that. Um, we, ha we are JVing the, the property that we're buying, the class C, we're, we're partnering with someone who came to us and said, we, we wanna get into this asset class and we wanna do it with you. And then there's others which we just do on our own. So we got your contact information. Uh, this, this is wonderful information. I might keep you on the phone for <laughs> a second afterwards because I have a building that, uh, that uh, is like right in some of the neighborhoods you just were talking about that uh, it could be a conversion so maybe i'll just get you to look at it quick for 10 seconds and move on but thank you for coming on the show i really appreciate your time scott my pleasure i've enjoyed it